Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today, we're continuing our series, The Missionary Enterprise, with a message titled, What Must I Do to Be Saved? So turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 15, verses 1 to 5, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. positively certain that the most important question that anyone can address and the most important question before the church is this. What must a person do to be saved from their sins, reconciled to God, and receive eternal life? I mean, that question is the business of the church. I remember years ago, I was engaged in a number of conversations with a Hollywood actor. I mean, he was a star in the past. He had played a leading role in a number of films and had played alongside of a number of very famous actors at any rate. We had engaged in a conversation about the gospel. It was tough slugging because this man was a syncretist. Whatever spiritual truth he heard from whatever source, he simply accepted it and kind of threw it onto a large pile in his mind. So the question of Jesus was not met by any objections. He was willing to do whatever Jesus wanted, along with whatever Buddha wanted and Muhammad wanted, along with a number of other cult leaders. He just accepted everything. As I say, you know, this was tough sledding. It involved, you know, talking about the definition of things. And we had plenty of discussion of the law of negation. You know, if one thing is true, it would negate the possibility of its opposite also being true. Well, at any rate, I had another dear friend at the time who was very critical of my evangelistic efforts with this man. He told me if I let him, he said he could win this actor to faith in Christ in no time. And probably unwisely, I let him get a crack at it. So my Christian friend showed up with a copy of the Four Spiritual Laws, and he invited my actor friend to pray the sinner's prayer. And he said, Rod, that's not his real name, I changed it. He said, Rod, would you like to pray this prayer right now? And Rod said, sure, I'd love to. You know, my friend looked at me with his triumphant smile, but what happened next really confused him. Rod said, you see, you know, I've prayed similar prayers in so many different religions, and I've meditated, and I'd love to do this now and just add one more spiritual experience. It sounds great. Now, my friend looked at me as if to say, what do I do next? And I smiled as if to say, hey, you got yourself into this mess, buddy. Now get yourself out. But that brings me to a question. I mean, just how easy is it to be saved from sin and reconciled to God? I mean, that's a question that the early church had to grapple with. They really didn't have to grapple with the question when the Christian faith was primarily a Jewish phenomenon. That's because all children were dedicated to the Lord and the little boys were circumcised to indicate they belonged to the covenant with God. And then they were educated in the scripture and they understood something about the nature of the one true God and about the covenant that he had made with his people. And they learned about Abraham and Moses and David. And so when Jews came to believe on Jesus as the Messiah, they saw Jesus completely in the framework of the scriptures and within the context of everything that they've been taught. And then came the Gentile converts, and to say the least, that got complicated. I mean, some of these Gentiles had been in the synagogues and they had loved the God of Israel, but there was a problem. They were not converts, they were just hangers on. Well, so many of these trusted fully in Jesus. And then even further, when Paul and Barnabas, for instance, visited the city of Lystra, well, there was no Jewish synagogue there at all. The population was fully Greek in thought and in attitude. They believed in the Roman gods, but they had no concept of the one true God who had chosen a people to himself. 
And yet, even there, some of them genuinely believed in Jesus, and all of this was stretching the boundaries. I mean, what did it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Was it possible to be a full follower of Jesus and not have any working knowledge of things that Jews had spent their lifetime both knowing and assimilating? And were these new Gentile believers to be welcomed as full equals alongside of faithful and observant Jews? Well, that's the question, isn't it? What is necessary for a person to be saved? And look, it's our question as well, especially when we encounter and reach out to and win people to Christ who have no background in any biblical ways of thinking or any background as to what the biblical lifestyle looks like and the implications of that. Now, we've been studying Acts 13 to 15, and in Acts 13 and 14, we have been recounting of Paul and Barnabas and their two-year missionary trip and then coming back and reporting to their own home church. I think it must have surprised everyone that a wide open door to the Gentiles was before them. Gentiles were fascinated with Jesus. Suddenly the early church must have thought, oh my, we've got a tiger by the tail. Gentiles are coming into the church in such great numbers that if this were to go on, it would literally swamp the church. Christianity would then not be thought of as a Jewish phenomenon. And all this leads to a controversy, a controversy which was so large, it threatened to break up the unity of the church. What does it really mean to be a Christian? What is required to be saved and to be reconciled with God? If there was no clarity on this matter, the church wouldn't survive. So in short, the church was fighting for its very identity as well as the content of the gospel. You know, I can't say this any more forcibly. You know, the events described in Acts 15 called the Council of Jerusalem, the events there forged the unity of the church and helped the church ask and answer its most important question. So let's begin to read Acts 15 verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, just a note of explanation. When it says some men came down, at least in our way of thinking today, I mean, to go down, it always means to go south. But in the Jewish mindset, to go down means to leave Jerusalem. See, in their thinking, a person always went up to Jerusalem, whether he or she was traveling north, south, east, or west. Jerusalem was the center, and everyone went down from there. So, in fact, these men went north from Jerusalem, and they traveled all the way to Antioch in Syria to the church that had commissioned Paul and Barnabas on the missionary trip. And everyone was a buzz. The Lord had opened a wide door to the Gentiles. Now, it's not as if the church in Antioch didn't already have plenty of Gentile converts, but they also had plenty of Jewish converts. And now Antioch would become the center of early world missions, seeing Gentiles coming to faith in Christ into Lycia and Galatia. It was exciting stuff. I mean, no doubt the church of Antioch was asking how they could strengthen these believers and while everyone was aflush with excitement, Luke says, some men from Jerusalem and Judea showed up and these men began to teach. And we've got to ask three questions here. Number one, who are these men? Number two, how did these men get authority to teach believers in Antioch? And three, exactly what is it they were teaching? So let's start with who these men were. You know, looking down to verse 5, we find Paul and Barnabas are now in Jerusalem and they're confronting believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. And given that reality, we have to assume that's who these people are. Well, you might say, well, wait a minute. 
What did you just say? We know who the Pharisees were in the Bible. I mean, we read about them in the Gospels. They're those people who constantly opposed Jesus, and in the end, they conspired with the Sadducees to have Jesus put to death. I mean, how is it even possible to have believers in Jesus who belong to the party of the Pharisees? Well, let's back up and reacquaint ourselves with the Pharisees, shall we? I mean, think back to the time of Ezra. Ezra was a part of those exiles who returned to Israel from 70 years of captivity in Babylon. And Ezra was a priest who taught Israel that it was because Israel ignored the law of God that God sent the Babylonians to punish them. And of course, he wasn't alone. I mean, all the prophets before Ezra had predicted that this would happen. Now, after Ezra, it was important to have teachers who continue to teach faithfulness to the law in Israel. By the second century BC, we have a group called the Hasidim, or God's loyal ones. And after them came a group of priests called, yeah, the Pharisees. They also insisted that from now on, Israel must remain loyal to the law of God. And in their favor, I mean, they favored studying the Bible and doing what it said. And they also at times suffered terribly under Roman authorities. You know, I also want to add that by the time of AD 200, yeah, after the events described in Acts, it came about that Judaism, as we know it even today, and Pharisaic teaching became virtually synonymous. These were the men who insisted on devotion to the scriptures and devotion to the law. And it turns out some among their number had come to a conclusion that the horrible sin had been done when their brothers voted to crucify Jesus. Indeed, some of the Pharisees came to the conclusion that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah and the hope of all the scriptures. And so they repented of their sins. They turned to become followers of Jesus, and they knew that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And along with that, they joyfully awaited the second coming of Jesus. I mean, that was a wonderful thing. But they also thought Israel should never forget her lessons in the past. It was because Israel had abandoned the law of God that God had sent the Babylonians to be his tool of punishment. And the memory of that should remind Israel that it was necessary to remain obedient to the law of God. And now along came all these Gentile converts and the situation was becoming confusing. You know, these men thought we need to clarify matters so we don't commit the sins of our forefathers. We're praying that 2022 would be a year that you'd experience the fellowship of the Lord like no other. We believe earnestly to do this means to commit ourselves to prayer and to the reading and study of God's Word. So we want to encourage you to make a commitment to read through the Bible this year. There are so many resources available that can assist you in achieving this goal, including Dr. John's reading plan, available at backtothebible.ca or printed in our bi-monthly Truth in Life magazine, and it's free just for your asking. Whatever resource you choose, your commitment to reading the Bible every day will allow you the opportunity to know the God of the Bible as never before. Join us, would you? Begin today. Experience the story of your redemption in the pages of God's book. For more information about Back to the Bible Canada, its resources, or to support this ministry, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
So that's who these men were. They were converted Pharisees who loved Jesus and loved the law of God. Now, how did these men get the authority to teach in Antioch? Well, now, that's a question that Luke actually doesn't answer for us, but a little bit of thinking is going to help us out here. These Pharisees were accepted by the culture as teachers in Israel. But, and this is crucial, these men were not commissioned by the apostles. And I hope that in your mind a picture is emerging about a struggle as to who will give leadership to the early church. The Pharisees were accustomed to an environment where different theological perspectives would be openly debated and where whoever could sway the public opinion would win the day. But in contrast to that reality was the reality of the church, a church founded upon the teachings of the apostles who were appointed by Jesus to be his spokesmen, and they had authority to speak on Jesus' behalf. Now, now these matters were about to come to a head. I mean, who gets to teach? And the church in Antioch must not have settled the matter. And so, given that these men were Pharisees and given their biblical training, they, they simply were afforded the opportunity. At least this seems to be, in my mind, the plausible thing that happened in Antioch. Now then, what did they teach? Well, given their background of teaching Israel's breaking of the law was her downfall, their teaching was straightforward. Unless these Gentiles are circumcised according to the custom of Moses or according to the practice instituted by Moses, well, these Gentiles won't be saved, and that's just it. Make them obedient to the law, for if they aren't obedient to the law and if they aren't circumcised, they won't be freed from their sin. Now, of course, in just a little while, they would have added to that the Jewish dietary restrictions also found in the law. Then they would have added to that the other laws as well, which would have included the kind of clothing that they were allowed to wear. Now, I know the law of Moses is not just about circumcision and dietary restrictions and clothing. It's also about worshiping the one true God. It's about forsaking idols. It's about keeping sexually pure and staying away from things like theft and other immoral acts. But, but that part, that is, staying away from idols and worshiping only the true God, I mean, those parts were actually not in dispute at all in the early church. Already speaking to the Gentiles in Lystra, you'll remember, they were full of idol worshipers. Paul had already said that he had come to teach them to turn them from these vain things to worship the true and living God. In other words, my illustration of my movie actor friend, you remember him, who wanted to worship idols and serve Jesus at the same time? Well, there's simply no opening for that. But it's about these laws that deal with Jewishness, Jewish distinctions. That's what was under dispute. And so these, shall we call them Christian Pharisees, said, look, you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Now let's read verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Well, I love the way Luke understates things. No small dissension indeed. In fact, he could have said it was all out war. This was, in their minds, what the gospel was all about. You know, I have to point out that if you want to know what Paul and Barnabas would have been saying at this point, well, the book of Galatians, written very shortly after the Council of Jerusalem, is that argument. There in Galatians 3.10, Paul will say, 
All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. And then at verse 11, he would say that it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. And then later, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us in his atoning death on the cross. And then even later than that, the law is contrary to the promises of God. And then finally, in regard to the Gentile followers of Jesus, Paul would say there is neither Jew nor Greek but rather all are believers in Christ. We are one regardless of whether we're circumcised or not. See, at the heart of the debate was the question of how sins were forgiven and what is required to be made right with God. And here's the issue. In our day, it's quite common to take matters of that kind of importance and assign them to simply, you know, differences of opinion. I remember once while I was in pastoral ministry, a woman came to me and she told me of her great love for a very popular preacher. And I told her, look, let me suggest to you a number of preachers you might listen to. And furthermore, I said, you need to be very wary of the one you're now listening to because that man actually denies the gospel. And her response to me was, well, I'm so disappointed in you, she said. You need to be open to opinions other than your own. And see, hers was a response that was completely in line with the spirit of the age. And it's the same kind of response from my movie actor friend. Paul and Barnabas were not syncretists, thinking that any opinion was as good as the next. They, says Luke, entered into a vigorous dispute with the Christian Pharisees. And out of this, says Luke, the church in Antioch made an appointment. Paul and Barnabas and some others were to go to Jerusalem, meet with the apostles there, and they were going to settle the matter. In Galatians, Paul tells us that Titus was one of the others who went along. And that was really important because Titus was a Greek and he had not been circumcised. See, at any rate, the Antioch church wanted to know who has the right to teach and set the doctrinal foundation for the church. And most important of all, we need to settle this matter about our salvation. We can't have some people teaching that you're saved by faith and by faith alone and others teaching that unless you're circumcised, you won't be saved. See, let's continue to read Acts 15, 3 to 5. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. Notice that Paul and his team didn't just silently pass through Phoenicia and Samaria on the way to Jerusalem. They stopped at every church. Special meetings were called. People had been hearing about the remarkable things that happened to the Gentiles, and they wanted firsthand reports. Notice also how different this was to what the converted Pharisees were doing. See, they had no stories to tell, and there is the crux of the matter. See, the reason there were so many Gentiles who loved the God of Israel was because the Bible rings true, and the God of Abraham, and the God of Moses, and the God of David is indeed the one true God. But the reason in the past that these Gentiles, who actually loved the God of Israel, didn't become converts is because they refused circumcision, and they refused the Jewish laws designed to make Israel distinct. In effect, what Judaism demanded of Gentiles was that in order for them to become converts, they had to cut themselves off from every association with family and friends. And this, these Gentiles would not do. You see, if the converted Pharisees, the the ones who taught that you had to be circumcised in order to be saved, if these teachers, if they had won out, 
Christianity would have remained a very small sect that would eventually die out. And so Paul rightly went through every single church he could before he reached Jerusalem, and he described in detail how the Holy Spirit was drawing Gentiles to faith in Christ and how they were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Nothing more was required, and then something wonderful happened. They arrived in Jerusalem, and says Luke, the Jerusalem church warmly welcomed them. Now, they didn't look on Paul and his team with suspicion. They were overjoyed to have them. Paul speaks about that later in Galatians chapter 2. He says that when James, who was our Lord's brother, and who was in fact the senior pastor of the Jerusalem church, and then Peter and John, who were all in Jerusalem at that time, that when Paul and Barnabas arrived there, those men gave them the right hand of fellowship. Paul says they openly affirmed that God had called them to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Yeah, but that didn't mean the battle was won when Paul entered into Jerusalem. It would seem there were a goodly number of converted Pharisees, and all of them had agreed on the supremacy of the law. It was as if they were saying, look, Paul, you know, we're glad you're bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, but the gospel you're bringing is incomplete. You need to take us along, and we will do the work alongside of you, and we'll demand faithfulness to the law. And so, The Council of Jerusalem begins while Paul and Barnabas are sharing what God has been doing among the Gentiles, and the Pharisees are teaching in Jerusalem, unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. And what's at stake is the entire doctrine of salvation. And what hung in the balance in either AD 48 or 49 was whether the Church of Jesus would embrace that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone, or whether or not we believed that some things needed to be added. That was so important then, boy, it's just as important now. Thanks, John. You know, this may be the most critical of all messages. Can you help us? Can you, can you remind us what is necessary to be saved? And maybe you can pray for those who would make that request. Yeah. In order to be saved, come to terms with the fact that you've sinned against a holy God and that you deserve judgment. Come to terms with the fact that God is love and has sent his own son to save you by his death on the cross. Surrender your life into his hands and trust in Jesus for your salvation. Pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I know you're the son of God. I know that I'm a sinner, but you've come to take away my sin. O Lord, I surrender my life into your hands. Cleanse me of my sin. Make me holy before God. Make me your disciple and lead me into the paths of eternity. I take your hand. Lead me where I should go. Pray that way and watch what God does. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again next week as we continue our series, Jesus Goes Global, the missionary enterprise right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Bible teaching you can trust. Since 1957, Back to the Bible Canada has provided excellent and trustworthy Bible teaching for Canadians. What has been accomplished is a result of people like you listening right now who share our hearts for this mission. In particular, those who have chosen to join us in ministry as monthly partners. 
as we begin a new year, perhaps becoming an 1119 monthly partner might be something you'd consider. Your investment in this ministry assures that people of all ages and stages of life have opportunity to discover more about a new life in Christ through the study of God's Word. Your partnership in 2022 will provide the resources to sustain and expand the reach of Bible teaching across Canada and beyond. To learn more about the 1119 Monthly Partnership Program, visit backtothebible.ca slash fellowship or call us at one 800 663 2425